Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. In continuation with last week's episode, we will discuss the third mark of the Catholic Church today. The Church is Catholic. So there are four marks to the Catholic Church. The Church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And these four marks are four essential characteristics of the Catholic Church are named in the Nicene Creed, which again is the subject of part one of the four parts of the Catechism, and we continue our discussion of them this week. So we talked last week about how the Church is one and holy, and this week as we talk about the Church being Catholic, it is for the same reason that the Church is one and holy, and that is that God himself is Catholic or universal. So the term Catholic means universal. It applies to all. It draws all to herself and in turn all towards Christ, towards God, towards the three members of the Trinity. And the the church is Catholic or universal because the source of the church, the Trinity, is universal as well. The Catechism, again, talks about how the the Church is Catholic or universal in the sense that she is composed of all different types of people, Um, and also she reaches out to all people, no matter who you are, where you're from, what language you speak, background, origin, etc. The Church is for you. So paragraph 850 talks specifically about how the the church is missionary or reaches out to all because God himself is missionary. So think back to our discussion of the Trinity, God, three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself was in this eternal exchange of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, giving and receiving love, giving and receiving love, giving and receiving love for all of eternity. So God will never end. There is also no beginning to God. So for all of eternity, extending backwards on our human timeline, God was in this eternal exchange of love. And God, who is perfect, had no need to admit anyone or anything into that eternal exchange of love. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit could have gone on forever and ever, just giving and receiving love, uh, never creating these sinful little human beings who would bring heartbreak to God himself. Um, but he does create us. He creates the world, creates human beings so that we too can share in, enjoy that eternal exchange of giving and receiving love. He who is goodness itself is naturally diffusive. So he wants to go outside of himself and share himself. And he also knows that love is not love until it's given away. So the Trinity was already doing that. Father, Son, and Spirit were giving and receiving love. That love was given away, received, given back again, received. Um, But he also gives it to us. So love, when kept to itself, grows stale, dies. But when it's broken open and given away, it grows. So think of a little seed. When it burrows into the ground and dies... That's where it breaks open and then becomes a flower, a tree. It flourishes. For whatever reason, I think of um, Miss Havisham, this famous character from Charles Dickens' novel, Great Expectations, who sadly was jilted at the altar and 
tries to preserve that moment where she was expectantly awaiting a, a beautiful, happy marriage and life by wearing her wedding dress, leaving this decaying cake on the table uh, for the rest of her life. So she tries to preserve that moment rather than breaking herself open to new life, new love, new relationships. She preserves that one moment, um, tries to protect herself from ever giving, getting hurt again, and as a result, she, she decays over time. So we are missionary. We go out of ourselves. We share the life and love that has been given to us because God is missionary. He has gone out of himself to share the life and love that is contained within him. Paragraph 850 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, The origin and purpose of mission. The Lord's missionary mandate is ultimately grounded in the eternal love of the Most Holy Trinity. The Church on earth is by her nature missionary since, according to the plan of the Father, she has as her origin the mission of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The ultimate purpose of mission is none other than to make men share in the communion between the Father and the Son in their spirit of love. So the whole point of the church is to proclaim to the world that we too are called to share in that beautiful love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as they give and receive love for all of eternity. This missionary mandate to go out to all the world and share uh, this giving and receiving love that the Trinity enjoys within itself blesses the giver as it grows and multiplies and changes the person who gives it away, and it blesses the receiver. Who doesn't want to receive the source of life and love, of truth, beauty, and goodness? Some might say that they actually don't. So we might look at the, the missionary mandate of the church. We might look at what God through the church is calling us to and think, you know what, I'm just, I'm good right here. Okay, I'm fine. I don't need any more. Um, this makes me think of when I would teach sophomore year, we would go through the commandments. And when we would get to the third commandment, keeping holy the Sabbath, year after year, I had a number of students who were just stunned that it was a, a mortal sin to miss mass on Sundays. So we would unpack the third commandment, keep holy the Sabbath, and talk about how we're called to rest on Sundays to set aside servile work and be refreshed and renewed this one day a week. And then we would talk about how, as part of keeping holy the Sabbath, we're called to go, church, go to church and, if we're disposed, receive the Eucharist. If not, still attend church and put God above all the other activities of the week. So to learn that missing Mass was a, a serious, grave, mortal sin – Again, I had a number of students each year who were like, what? And I would try to reassure them and say, well, you, you didn't know up until this point, so you weren't culpable. You were not in a state of mortal sin because to be in a state of mortal sin, you need to, it needs to be a, a grave matter, so a serious action you're doing. Um, you need to be aware of it, aware that it's serious, and then you need to be actively choosing it. So three ingredients there for something to be considered a mortal or serious sin. So I would tell them, you know, if you if you truly did not know, you were invincibly ignorant, and so you were actually not in a state of mortal sin, they would look back at me and say, like, well, thanks a lot. Now that we know, we have to go to Mass, because now we know it is mortal sin. And I would say, come on, guys. Had you not received this truth, this good news, that it's 
super important to come before God at least once a week in his real presence to go to Mass, you'd be missing out on this opportunity to, again, sit before and maybe even receive the real presence of God himself. So I think this this little anecdote points to a misconception that that God is like a mean teacher or a mean parent who mandates that I must go to church on Sundays. And if I don't know about it, I don't have to go and I won't get in trouble. But if I do know about it, then I'm on the hook and I'll get in trouble if I don't go. God does not need us to go to Mass as though his happiness depends on it. He is perfectly fine with or without us. Instead, he mandates, he tells us to keep holy the Sabbath because it's good for us. And if it were left up to us each week, it would or could be quite hard to go as there are a myriad and always will be of excuses, reasons not to go, of more important events and tasks, um, trying to claim our time and attention. So there's always something. There's always a reason not to go whether we're sick, we don't feel like it, we're tired, whether we have soccer practice, um, whether there's you know a work event, whether we're under stress because we're moving, we're having a baby. There's always something going on, and so there will always be a reason not to go. And so when God mandates it, when he says, keep holy the Sabbath, go to Mass uh, every Sunday, put me literally first in your week, um, and set aside, you know, work for the day, servile work for the day, because there will always be work. Um, he does that because it's it, it's good for us, and because again, left to our own devices, we might not not heed that. This makes me think of the Whole Thirty, a diet that I've done a handful of times throughout my life, where for thirty days you cut out sugar, processed foods, other things, and again for thirty days just eat whole foods, um, just pure, simple meals created by pure, simple foods, again, without any additives. The philosophy of the Whole30 is that at the beginning of those 30 days, you just decide once, I'm going to do this for 30 days, and one of their taglines is, with no cheats, slips, or excuses. So 30 days, no matter how I feel, what I'm doing, what engagement party I'm attending, or holiday work event I'm attending, I am going to eat according to this regimen with no cheats, no slips, no excuses. And the the mindset behind this, according to the authors, is that if we leave it up to our discernment each day, well, then we have to make that decision each and every day, multiple times throughout the day. Okay, should I eat sugar today or should I not eat sugar today? If I eat sugar, how much should I eat? Well, I'll just allow myself one little piece of cake. Well, today's, you know, this work event or this holiday event, and so I'll just do it today but not tomorrow. They say ra- rather than wrestling with this decision each and every day, just decide at the beginning of the 30 days, I'm just going to go through 30 days and make the decision once, and then I'll readdress the issue or I'll, I'll readdress this diet at the end of the 30 days. And they say that it's actually much more simple to make that decision once, carry it through, then wrestle with the decision each day. And so in an, an analogous way, God says very simply, just do this. You don't have to decide um, or discern or deliberate each and every Sunday. Just do it. 
because that's that's what I command. And the reason I command it is because it's good for you. It'll make you happy, not just in the next life, but in this life now. So I would tell my students, it's better for you to receive this good news, uh, to receive this truth, and then decide accordingly, rather than never to have received it. Because again, God mandates this because it'll make us happy. And I'm not going to be the one who keeps it from you, who doesn't share it with you. Within the last week or two, one of the gospel passages was the parable of the workers in the vineyard. This is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And this is that story that Christ tells where there's a landowner. He hires workers to work his vineyard at different points throughout the day. So he wakes up at dawn, hires a group of workers. They start working. And then around 9 a.m., it says he goes into the marketplace. He sees people standing around idly, and he says, hey, you want some work? Come join me. This is what I'll pay you. Then at noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., he keeps going out to the marketplace, finding more people just standing around twiddling their thumbs. And so he invites them to come and work, to come and work, to come and work. And then at the end of the day, the parable says he has the foreman gather all the men and pay them out. And no matter what time of day they started, they get the same daily wage. The parable concludes then with the early risers, those who started at dawn, grumbling against the landowner, basically saying, hey, we worked through the heat of the day, we worked all day, and we get the same wage as these other people? That's not fair. Um, When I first heard this gospel passage, I thought, yeah, that's not fair. I received the Catholic faith at a young age, and I've been trying to do my best, live, live the life. And, you know, I see some of my, my friends, my neighbors, my fellow college students having conversions later in life after they've partied their way through high school and college. And they get heaven too. That doesn't seem very fair. The more I walked in the truth of Jesus Christ, the more I began to realize that you're not just blessed at the end, at the end of the quote-unquote day or at the end of our lives, a.k.a. God willing, going to heaven, but we're blessed in the midst of and all along the journey. We get to live in the truth all day while some only step onto the vineyard at 5 p.m. or receive this truth, this beauty, this goodness later in life. Knowing mass is a mortal sin is a blessing and not a burden because it helps us start walking the walk early on so we get to receive blessings earlier on. And again, God is missionary and hands on this truth because it's too good to keep to himself. And we as church do the same. It's just too good. We go out into the marketplace and invite others as early and as often as we can so that they too can receive the same wage as us, God willing, heaven one day, and even some happiness along the way. I think of two friends of mine, each of whom attended state schools. One, she was a commuter to a a small state school, and he lived on campus at a, a big state school. They both lived the typical undergraduate life. They went to classes. They had friends. They attended parties, participated in sorority and fraternity life. And it wasn't until after they had graduated, well after they had graduated, um, that they heard about the beauty of the Franciscan University of Steubenville and said, I wish I had known about Steubenville when I was picking college. Um, It's interesting because some might see Steubenville as, 
you know, kind of restrictive, this small Catholic school in the middle of stinky Steubenville, Ohio, um, see it as not as big, as fun, as permissive, or typical of other college campus lifestyles. But these two recognize that while seeming restrictive, seeming more humdrum than other colleges, it was much like the commandment to keep holy the Sabbath in that it provided this structure that led to flourishing. It was a a college campus, a program um, that led to a beautiful truth for many students that led to fulfillment and happiness. So I'm not saying that everyone should go to the Franciscan University of Steubenville for undergraduate and graduate studies. I'm simply saying that like this parable of the workers in the vineyard, um, the earlier we receive this truth, this beauty, this goodness, the more and the longer we get to enjoy it because it's something that blesses us not just at the end of the day, but all day long. So... Let's share the goodness we have received so that others too may be blessed and early on in the day and so that we can be blessed in giving it away. The church is missionary because God is missionary. And just like God could have kept that truth, that beauty, that goodness to himself, we too could keep it to ourselves. Um, But we don't want that and others don't want that because we are blessed in giving it away and others are blessed for having received it. So let's take a brief break, and then we'll return to read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 830 through 856. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read this week's selection from the Catechism, paragraphs 830 through 856. The Church is Catholic. What does Catholic mean? The word Catholic means universal, in the sense of according to the totality, or in keeping with the whole. The Church is Catholic in a double sense. First, the Church is Catholic because Christ is present in her. Where there is Christ Jesus, there is the Catholic Church. In her subsists the fullness of Christ's body united with its head. This implies that she receives from him the fullness of the means of salvation which he has willed, correct and complete confession of faith, full sacramental life, and ordained ministry in apostolic succession. The church was, in this fundamental sense, Catholic on the day of Pentecost, and will always be so until the day of the parousia. Secondly, the church is Catholic because she has been sent out by Christ on a mission to the whole of the human race. All men are called to belong to the new people of God. This people, therefore, while remaining one and only one, is to be spread throughout the whole world and to all ages in order that the design of God's will may be fulfilled. He made human nature one in the beginning and has decreed that all his children who were scattered should be finally gathered together as one. The character of universality which adorns the people of God is a gift from the Lord himself, whereby the Catholic Church ceaselessly and efficaciously seeks for the return of all humanity and all its goods under Christ the head in the unity of his spirit. Each particular church is Catholic. The Church of Christ is really present in all legitimately organized local groups of the faithful, which, insofar as they are united to their pastors, are also quite appropriately called churches in the New Testament. In them, the faithful are gathered together through the preaching of the gospel of Christ, and the mystery of the Lord's Supper is celebrated. 
in these communities, though they may often be small and poor or existing in the diaspora, Christ is present, through whose power and influence the one holy Catholic and apostolic church is constituted. The phrase particular church, which is first of all the diocese or eparchy, refers to a community of the Christian faithful in communion of faith and sacraments with their bishop ordained in apostolic succession. These particular churches are constituted after the model of the universal church. It is in these and formed out of them that the one and unique Catholic church exists. Particular churches are fully Catholic through their communion with one of them, the Church of Rome, which presides in charity. For with this church, by reason of its preeminence, the whole church, that is the faithful everywhere, must necessarily be in accord. Indeed, from the incarnate words descent to us, all Christian churches everywhere have held and hold the great church that is here at Rome to be their only basis and foundation since, according to the Savior's promise, the gates of hell have never prevailed against her. Let us be very careful not to conceive of the universal church as the simple sum or the more or less anomalous federation of essentially different particular churches. In the mind of the Lord, the church is universal by vocation and mission, but when she puts down her roots in a variety of cultural, social, and human terrains, she takes on different external expressions and appearances in each part of the world. The rich variety of ecclesiastical disciplines, liturgical rites, and theological and spiritual heritages proper to the local churches, unified in a common effort, shows all the more resplendently the Catholicity of the undivided church. Who belongs to the Catholic Church? All men are called to this Catholic unity of the people of God, and to it, in different ways, belong or are ordered. The Catholic faithful, others who believe in Christ, and finally all mankind, called by God's grace to salvation. Fully incorporated into the society of the Church are those who, possessing the Spirit of Christ, accept all the means of salvation given to the Church together with her entire organization, and who, by the bonds constituted by the profession of faith, the sacraments, ecclesiastical government, and communion, are joined in the visible structure of the Church of Christ, who rules her through the Supreme Pontiff and the bishops. Even though incorporated into the Church, one who does not, however, persevere in charity is not saved. He remains indeed in the bosom of the Church, but in body, not in heart. The Church knows that she is joined in many ways to the baptized, who are honored by the name of Christian, but do not profess the Catholic faith in its entirety, or have not preserved unity or communion under the successor of Peter. Those who believe in Christ and have been properly baptized are put in a certain, although imperfect, communion with the Catholic Church. With the Orthodox churches, this communion is so profound that it lacks little to attain the fullness that would permit a common celebration of the Lord's Eucharist. The Church and Non-Christians those who have not yet received the gospel are related to the people of God in various ways. The relationship of the church with the Jewish people. When she delves into her own mystery, the church, the people of God, and the new covenant discovers her link with the Jewish people, the first to hear the word of God. The Jewish faith, unlike other non-Christian religions, is already a response to God's revelation in the old covenant. To the Jews belong the sonship, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and of their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. And when one considers the future, God's people of the old covenant and the new people of God tend towards similar goals. Expectation of the coming or the return of the Messiah.
but one awaits the return of the Messiah who died and rose from the dead and is recognized as Lord and Son of God. The other awaits the coming of a Messiah whose features remain hidden till the end of time, and the latter waiting is accompanied by the drama of not knowing or of misunderstanding Christ Jesus. The Church's Relationship with the Muslims The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator, in the first place amongst whom are the Muslims. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and together with us they adore the one, merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. The Church's bond with non-Christian religions is in the first place the common origin and end of the human race. All nations form but one community. This is so because all stem from the one stock which God created to people the entire earth, and also because all share a common destiny, namely God. He provides evident goodness and saving designs to all against the day when the elect are gathered together in the holy city. The Catholic Church recognizes in other religions that search, among shadows and images, for the God who is unknown yet near, since he gives life and breath and all things and wants all men to be saved. Thus, the Church considers all goodness and truth found in these religions as a preparation for the gospel and given by him who enlightens all men, that they may at length have life. In their religious behavior, however, men also display the limits and errors that disfigure the image of God in them. Very often, deceived by the evil one, men have become vain in their reasonings and have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and serve the creature rather than the creator. Or else, living and dying in this world without God, they are exposed to ultimate despair. To reunite all his children, scattered and led astray by sin, the Father willed to call the whole of humanity together into his Son's church. The church is the place where humanity must rediscover its unity and salvation. The church is the world reconciled. She is that bark which in the full sail of the Lord's cross, by the breath of the Holy Spirit, navigates safely in this world. According to another image dear to the church fathers, she is prefigured by Noah's ark, which alone saves from the flood. Outside the church, there is no salvation. How are we to understand this affirmation, often repeated by the church fathers? Reformulated positively, it means that all salvation comes from Christ the head through the church which is his body. Basing itself on scripture and tradition, the council teaches that the church, a pilgrim now on earth, is necessary for salvation. The one Christ is the mediator and the way of salvation. He is present to us in his body, which is the church. He himself explicitly asserted the necessity of faith and baptism, and thereby affirmed at the same time the necessity of the church, which men enter through baptism as through a door. Hence they could not be saved who, knowing that the Catholic Church was founded as necessary by God through Christ, would refuse either to enter it or to remain in it. This affirmation is not aimed at those who, through no fault of their own, do not know Christ and his church. Those who, through no fault of their own, do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, but who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart, and moved by grace, try in their actions to do his will as they know it through the dictates of their conscience. Those too may achieve eternal salvation. Although in ways known to himself, God can lead those who, through no fault of their own, are ignorant of the gospel, to that faith without which it is impossible to please him, the church still has the obligation and also the sacred right to evangelize all men. Mission, a requirement of the church's Catholicity. The missionary mandate, having been divinely sent to the nations that she might be the universal sacrament of salvation, the church, in obedience to the command of her founder, 
and because it is demanded by her own essential universality, strives to preach the gospel to all men. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always until the close of the age. The Origin and Purpose of Mission The Lord's missionary mandate is ultimately grounded in the eternal love of the Most Holy Trinity. The Church on earth is by her nature missionary, since, according to the plan of the Father, she has as her origin the mission of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The ultimate purpose of mission is none other than to make men share in the communion between the Father and the Son in their spirit of love. Missionary Motivation It is from God's love for all men that the Church in every age receives both the obligation and the vigor of her missionary dynamism, for the love of Christ urges us on. Indeed, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is, God wills the salvation of everyone through the knowledge of the truth. Salvation is found in the truth. Those who obey the prompting of the spirit of truth are already on the way of salvation. But the church, to whom this truth has been entrusted, must go out to meet their desire so as to bring them the truth. Because she believes in God's universal plan of salvation, the church must be missionary. Missionary Paths the Holy Spirit is the protagonist, the principal agent of the whole of the church's mission. It is he who leads the church on her missionary paths. This mission continues and in the course of history unfolds the mission of Christ, who was sent to evangelize the poor. So the church, urged on by the Spirit of Christ, must walk the road Christ himself walked, a way of poverty and obedience, of service and self-sacrifice even to death, a death from which he emerged victorious by his resurrection. So it is that the blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. On her pilgrimage, the church has also experienced a discrepancy existing between the message she proclaims and the human weakness of those to whom the gospel has been entrusted. Only by taking the way of penance and renewal, the narrow way of the cross, can the people of God extend Christ's reign. For just as Christ carried out the work of redemption in poverty and oppression, so the church is called to follow the same path if she is to communicate the fruits of salvation to men. By her very mission, the church travels the same journey as all humanity and shares the same earthly lot with the world. She is to be a leaven, and as it were, the soul of human society in its renewal by Christ and transformation into the family of God. Missionary endeavor requires patience. It begins with the proclamation of the gospel to peoples and groups who do not yet believe in Christ. Continues with the establishment of Christian communities that are a sign of God's presence in the world and leads to the foundation of local churches. It must involve a process of enculturation if the gospel is to take flesh in each people's culture. There will be times of defeat. With regard to individuals, groups, and peoples, it is only by degrees that the church touches and penetrates them, and so receives them into a fullness which is Catholic. The church's mission stimulates efforts towards Christian unity. Indeed, divisions among Christians prevent the church from realizing in practice the fullness of Catholicity proper to her and those of her sons who, though joined to her by baptism, are yet separated from full communion with her. Furthermore, the church herself finds it more difficult to express in actual life her full Catholicity in all its aspects. The missionary task implies a respectful dialogue with those who do not yet accept the gospel. Believers can profit from this dialogue by learning to appreciate better those elements of truth and grace which are found among peoples, and which are, as it were, a secret presence of God. 
They proclaim the good news to those who do not know it in order to consolidate, complete, and raise up the truth and the goodness that God has distributed among men and nations and to purify them from error and evil for the glory of God, the confusion of the demon, and the happiness of man. This brings us to the end of our episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me for another week. Between now and next week, be sure to connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast. I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.